So, this passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 is the beginning of a letter written by Peter. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He was an eyewitness, therefore, of all that Jesus said and did, including his death and resurrection. When Peter writes this letter, it's now around 30 years after Jesus. And the early believers have grown in number all the way around the Mediterranean region as the good news of Jesus has been preached. But these are also hard and difficult times. Nero is the Roman Emperor. And in the year 64 AD, which is around the time this letter was written, a great fire broke out in the city of Rome. Many buildings were destroyed. Hundreds, if not thousands of people were left homeless. And it's interesting that many historians have concluded that Nero started the fires deliberately to destroy the back streets of Rome and make more room to improve the city. At the same time, Nero was being vicious in his persecution of Christian believers. Some were apparently used as human torches uh, to light the streets. Uh, others were dragged through the city behind chariots or tied to the chariot wheels as they were driving through the city. Others were torn to pieces by lions in the arena. These were cruel and barbaric times. And Peter is writing this letter to Christian believers who are scattered throughout the whole Roman Empire to encourage them. At the very end of this letter, Peter explains that he writes to encourage them all to stand fast in the grace of God. Today, we're just going to look briefly at chapter one. I've entitled this talk, Four Things for, for, for You Guys as Christian Believers to Remember in a Crisis. So, number one, I want to highlight the fact that the love that God has for his people has very deep roots indeed. Sometimes when we read letters in the New Testament, we can skip over the introduction. But the introduction to this letter in particular is full of encouragement. Peter uh, tells us that he's writing to believers who are scattered all over the Roman Empire. And he describes, these are the people of God, chosen and loved by God himself. Peter describes them as strangers in this world. They live in the world, but have this sort of foreigner status. Their true identity now transcends their geography and their ethnicity. Their true identity is seen in the fact that now they really belong to God. Peter then speaks of Christians having been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. What does that mean? First of all, it reminds us that God is eternal and that he knows all things that will happen before they happen. This is, this is a God who is in control of all things. But more personally here, it means that he knew you and I before we were born. Peter tells us here that God loved and chose a people for himself. Now, I, I don't think this means that he saw into the future and recognised 
the kind of people who would believe in him and so on the basis of that he chose them that would imply some kind of merit on our part that caused him to choose us God didn't choose us because we loved him He, he chose us because he loved us what it means is that despite knowing everything about us even the very worst about us God loved us even before we were born and planned for us to be part of his precious people. Peter goes on in this introduction to talk about the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. The word sanctifying is has got something to do with being singled out. God singled each one of us out personally, set us apart, marked us as his own, And so there's come a point in each of our lives in different ways where God has actually in time drawn us to himself in faith and repentance. Peter says here that the reason God did this is so that we would be united to Jesus. To be sprinkled by the blood of Jesus is an odd phrase, but it's referring here to the death of Jesus on the cross in our place. Jesus took our sins on himself. His blood was shed to atone for our guilt. And that means that as we trust in Jesus, we're forgiven and cleansed and brought into an incredible new relationship with God. But there's more than that here. This is also about power to live a new kind of life too. God is not just at work to forgive our sins, but also to empower our obedience and to enable us and stimulate us and empower us to follow Jesus every day in our lives. I think these verses in this introduction are rich in describing God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit all together being at work, both from before we were born And then practically in time in this world to love and to call and to gather a people to himself from every tribe and nation in the world. This is therefore a very big story. And it means that the love that God has for you and for all of his people today has extremely deep roots. Secondly, here's something else to remember in a crisis. Secondly, praising God will shape your perspective. It will shape our perspective. We've already just touched briefly on the fact that in the first century there was tremendous trauma going on. Peter will get to some of that in this short letter. But look first where he starts. He begins with worship and praise of God. So often in life I think we naturally start with ourselves and our problems but Peter works hard here to start with what he knows about God and what God has done for his beloved people. Sometimes we can be so naturally inward looking but this is a call to be outward looking and even upward looking. 
I think there's an important lesson here for us in this about our perspective in times of crisis. In these coming days, we are going to need to fight to make sure that our perspective is shaped more by what God says about us and to us than by the news. We're going to need to fight every day to make sure that our anxieties don't cause us to fail to lift our eyes to Christ and his promises and fail to throw all of our anxieties onto him. Peter says that later on in chapter 5 of this letter that we should cast all of our anxieties upon God because he cares for us. We need to make sure in these days that we're not forgetting to do that. So the first thing Peter does here is to call to mind the incredible salvation God has achieved for us and the indestructible hope that we have as his chosen and precious and beloved people. So let's think about that for a minute. I want to say thirdly, we need to remember, you need to remember, I need to remember, we need to remember that God has given us an indestructible hope. One of the things that our culture tells us is that the the only things that we can see are real. Or only the things that we can see are real. There's nothing, in other words, beyond, beyond the here and now. I, I think it's strange that deep down in our hearts, we don't, we don't really believe that. I think we do long for something transcendent. We do hope deep down that there's something more than just what we can see. The problem, I think, in times like this current crisis is that there's no comfort in the thought that this is all there is. And I wonder whether sometimes it may even take such a crisis as this one to shake us out of some of the things, our, our false hopes, some of the things that we pin our hopes in that won't last. The focus of Peter's praise here is that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Peter immediately explodes in praise to God the Father, who has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, brothers and sisters, death is not the end. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus took on and fought our greatest enemy, and smashed it. Peter here in these verses packs some rich truth into just a few incredible sentences here. Firstly, Peter tells us that the source of this indestructible living hope is the great mercy of God. Even in a, a brutal first century empire with a lunatic emperor, Peter calls to mind the fact that God is merciful and his language isn't stingy it's expansive god peter says has great mercy in his great mercy he has given us mercy of course is the idea that god does not treat us as we deserve to be treated 
we might say from these verses that God is magnificently merciful. And that should awaken in us a willingness to turn to him in faith, knowing and believing that he won't send us away because we're not good enough. The great good news of the Christian gospel is that God is generous and kind to sinners like us who don't deserve it and yet he works to achieve a salvation for us through his son the Lord Jesus. God has given us Jesus because his mercy is massive. That's the point that Peter's trying to get across. Secondly, Peter says here that this mercy shown to us in Jesus leads to us experiencing a rebirth. Peter says we've, given, we've been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think this shows us something about Christianity that it doesn't consist of external conformity to a set of rules. Neither is Christianity to do with improving our environment in the sense of our circumstances or having a better education. The Christian gospel is not something that's imposed on us from the outside as an ideal to live by. The, the, the gospel uh, comes to us with the gift of new life on the inside. Christianity works from the inside outwards. A Christian is someone who has been reborn by the grace of God, changing their heart. And thirdly, Peter says here that the result of all this is, is an invincible security. I, I think one of the things that we need to be reminded of just now, when it feels like everything is, is falling apart, is that there's, there is a security in Christ. Peter writes that God has brought us into this living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. I think we know that everything we, everything that we know in this world fades eventually. Everything comes to an end at some point. What is new and clean now will be old and spoiled and ruined one day. I, I, I think in one sense, this current crisis is, it, it shocks us because it's speeding up that process. But even if we weren't in a crisis at the moment, everything would still gradually be fading, spoiling and perishing. So Peter writes to these scattered believers and he reminds them that even in their hard circumstances, God's love for them has very deep roots, eternal roots and that they can praise God for his great mercy, for their new life in Jesus, and for the secure future that they now have in him. 
These are the kinds of eternal truths that we need to nourish ourselves with at all times and especially in such a crisis like this. Peter's one final thing to say and I want to put it like this. Fourthly, we should remember that security and suffering are often holding hands. What do I mean by that? I want to encourage all of you to spend some time this week just reflecting on these verses. And as you do, notice the contrast that Peter seems to hold in tension in these verses. On the one hand, as we've seen, Peter talks about eternal security, living hope, inexpressible joy, but then in the next breath, he's talking in verse six about griefs and all kinds of difficulties. So for Peter, two things are obviously true at the same time. These believers are totally secure in Jesus and yet they're groaning because they're exposed to the reality of daily struggles in this world. In verse 5, Peter speaks so positively about them being shielded by God's power. And yet in verse 6, he speaks realistically in recognising the fact that they're suffering grief in trials. So the shielding in verse 5, though powerful, cannot mean an escape or some kind of insulation from trouble. And we shouldn't preach a gospel that implies th that that will be the case. The powerful shielding in verse 5 means that there is no trauma that we can experience that can separate us from the love of God or the salvation that he's given to us. The presence of trouble even now, in our lives, does not mean that God is absent. God promises to be with us in our struggles. We mustn't draw wrong conclusions if our circumstances are hard and think that because we feel anxious or we feel grief that somehow God doesn't love us or has abandoned us. Sometimes it can feel like we're hanging on with all the strength in our fingertips. Peter is reminding us here that actually it is God who is powerfully keeping us. This is not a competition to see who can hold on for the longest. It is God himself who shields his precious people by his power Peter also goes on to say here that God has a greater purpose in mind in our difficulties in verse 7 Peter says these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour 
when Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 7 tells us that God uses our trials to refine our faith. And here, here's the nub of the issue. We have faith. We do believe. But that faith is weak and it often has impurities in it. We are relying on God. But that faith is mixed up with other things too. Your faith in Christ is real and therefore very precious. But it's often also imperfect. Peter, Peter compares here faith to gold and the process of refining precious metals like gold is an interesting one. The idea is that the gold is melted in a big receptacle called a crucible. And as the heat comes on and the metal turns to liquid, all of the impurities float to the surface and the forge master or whatever his name is, can he, he can get a special tool and scrape off all the crusty, dirty imperfections. What's left behind is a purer metal. And sometimes a metallurgist, Mr. Forge Master, will do this process several times, one after the other, and increasingly purify and refine the metal. Peter is reminding us here that our difficulties are not sent to destroy our faith or to make us cower in fear, but to purify and refine our faith so that it shines like pure gold does. So God doesn't send trouble because he hates us or because he's punishing us. He has a loving design and purpose in our trials to refine our faith. So often in life, we don't know the end from the beginning. But these verses here in 1 Peter chapter 1 tell us that we are ultimately secure in the love of God. And that God is working for our good even through our difficulties. From Peter's perspective here at the end of verse 7, it actually seems that every pang of sorrow now will serve to enhance the sense of joy and honour and glory we'll experience as his people in the future. What is our faith in, if not in Jesus? The reason our faith is precious is precisely because it's in him. And I think there's something about faith. When we put our faith in Jesus, what we're doing is reflecting to others the trustworthiness, the preciousness, the beauty and the power and the kindness of Jesus. Is it possible that in our pain, God is also polishing the mirror so that we more accurately reflect the one who is worth reflecting. As, as we close these thoughts, um, I was struck by verse 8 here. I, I was struck that 
what Peter describes here as the joy despite separation, it made me think of the social distancing that we're all experiencing now because of the coronavirus. Listen to what Peter says in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, that is, Jesus, you love him. And though, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Brothers and sisters, dear ones, these are strange and uncertain times, but remember these things. The love that God has for you has extremely deep roots. Remember that praising God will shape your perspective. Remember that God has given you an indestructible hope. And friends, don't be surprised when security and suffering seem to be holding hands in your life. I, I hope you'll be able to take some time this week to meditate on these words from 1 Peter chapter 1. And I hope as you do that, God by his spirit will enable them to sink deeply into your hearts in the difficult days that lie ahead. As a church family, let's, let's work hard to love and look after one another in these difficult days. And may God bless all of our hearts as we anchor ourselves and root ourselves and remember these four things in this current crisis. May God, Father, Son and Spirit bless you all richly in these days.